Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? You know, one of those once-in-a-lifetime, life-changing encounters with God that alters the way you look at life forever. Now, events from the Bible, like those that happen in our gospel for today, are where this idea of the mountaintop experience originated as a transcendent revelation from God to man. Now, the closest I ever came to an experience like that was years and years ago when I was living in Burbank. That's where I grew up. And I was a young father. And at that particular time, I wasn't attending church, okay? It's my personal confession here. Just wasn't into it. I, I, I had a problem with the church, and I'd walked away for a while. But I was sending my young daughter to kindergarten at First Lutheran Church in Burbank. And they had this special event that my daughter, Christina, just wanted to go to so bad, Dad. Uh, so I took her and my little son then, Robert, three years old, he was a tiny thing then. And I, I took him here. This, it was a Lutheran preschool teacher from Palmdale. And what he did was he would sing while performing on a myriad of unusual musical instruments. I mean, really unusual. I mean, he played on such diverse instruments as the lyre. Well, you know, that's not too freaky. But then the hurdy-gurdy. Anybody ever seen a hurdy-gurdy played? <laughs> Uh, hammered dulcimer. That was a revelation for me. And he, he had a uh, shamisen that he had acquired in travels to Japan. And he had this, a, a kalimba thumb piano. You played it with your thumbs that he got in Africa. And in between, he sort of wove in tales about the people of faith he met while he was traveling around the world, gathering all of his collection. And he would tell their stories of struggle and triumph and hope. And then he closed his presentation with a simple preschool song. He was a preschool teacher. And he accompanied it with, of all things, an auto harp. I don't know if you remember what an auto harp is. I mean, they were ubiquitous back when I was in grade school all those years, decades ago. But it's, um, it's in the zither family. It's a, it's a box, basically, a platform where you had all these strings that were closely grouped together. And then you could selectively damp the various strings by pressing on these keyed bars. And that would allow you to play the selected chord that you wanted to, to strum. And you, you'd strum it. Most people played it on a tabletop. But instead, he picked it up and held it to his chest. And then he sang this very gently. Do you know who died for me? Jesus did. Jesus did. Lovingly, he died for me. Yes, he really did. And you know what? That simple song, as I sat there and heard it and heard everything I'd, that he presented. 
it just brought back to me the faith that I had kind of walked away from that, that would taught to me in confirmation. And, you know, suddenly it all clicked for me. And I have to say that that encounter turned my life around to the point that decades later now, a guy who at one time had very little use for religion and who never ever did complete speech 101 in college because he was so uncomfortable speaking even to a small classroom. But now I'm standing here doing this. God is amazing. Now, do you ever think to yourself, some things are just not quite as they seem? In our gospel lesson for today from Matthew 17, I want to suggest that what is described here is not quite what it appears to be at first take. A great deal of what is revealed to the disciples here has strong links to other mountaintop experiences found throughout the Old Testament. So let's spend a little time unraveling some of that, okay? So we need to start with a little context. Chapter 17 begins with an after six days. So, you know, after six days, what's that about? Well, these six days are kind of important because six days ago, in the past, before this event, and just after you have that magnificent confession by Simon Peter to Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's Matthew 16, 16. Jesus had finally told his disciples plainly for the first time that, quote, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. It's Matthew 16, 21. I imagine that Jesus' followers must have been startled and confused by all this, but Jesus was preparing them for something special. And after six days, Jesus decided to take his inner circle of Peter, James, and John on a hike up a local mountain. Now, this is reminiscent of when in the book of Exodus, Moses was called upon by the Lord to confirm his covenant with the people of Israel. In chapter 24 of that book, it indicates that he also took three of his closest followers up to a mountaintop, where we are told that Moses spent six days, six days, three guys, in preparation until God called to him from the cloud that covered the mountaintop. And he ultimately spent 40 days and nights with God, surrounded with the awesome presence of the glory of the Lord, which, by the way, the people down at the bottom of the mountain were experiencing as a devouring fire. And so we come back to Jesus, where it says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now that's not something you see every day, is it? But the followers of Moses had a similar experience. In Exodus 34, we, we read, 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down the mountain, well, that's the second set. He broke the first one in his anger at the people. But continuing, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking to God. Aaron and all the people saw Moses, and behold, the skin on his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Exodus 34, 29, and 30. And then our encounter with Jesus continues, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, I'm starting to have questions here. Now, was this a transfiguration or is something else going on? And how did the disciples know that it was Moses and Elijah they were seeing? I mean, were they wearing name tags like, you know, hello, my name is? Uh, Yet Peter had no doubt as to who they were. He was going to build tents for them so they could all stay together on the mountaintop. But... Moses had been dead and buried for at least 1,430 years, and Elijah had been translated into heaven for about 880 years. So, you know, there are no pictures. How did they know? Yes, this is where I think that something else is going on. I think that Jesus had not been transformed here. Instead, he had been temporarily revealed as to what he had always been. It's as if the veil had been lifted, uncovering a wider reality, a spiritual reality that for us in our fallenness is beyond our sight for now. What's going on in Matthew 17 is like what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, where it reads, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The veil that obscures our spiritual vision was briefly lifted for the disciples, allowing them to experience a moment of what life is like with undimmed vision. They see Jesus as he has always been, shining with the refulgent glory of God that was his from all eternity. The book of Revelation reminds us about the new Jerusalem, that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. In addition, the disciples were able to know and to be known For in the kingdom, in the promised heavenly kingdom, there are no strangers. There are only brothers and sisters. And, of course, they also got to hear the voice of God clearly as John the Baptist heard it at the Jordan after baptizing Jesus, where God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, we only get to hear him through scripture, to experience him in word and sacrament, which can occasionally be unnerving enough if you really grasp what's going on. But 
Peter, James, and John had a terrifying close encounter. It says, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I want to remind you that opening unseeing eyes to a wider reality, though exceedingly rare, has happened before. A prime example is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. And it concerns Elisha, the successor of the aforementioned prophet Elijah. Elisha found himself in a bit of a bind. He had been prophesying to the king of Israel against the army of Syria. And he kept accurately predicting all of their movements and frustrating their strategic efforts to occupy the promised land. Now, thinking that there was a spy in their midst, the king of Syria asked his servants this, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And after inquiring about where this prophet was, the king of Syria sent an army, chariots and horsemen, to surround the town of Dothan where Elisha was located. And as it says in verse 15 and following, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's interesting, isn't it? Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Then behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, Elisha had asked God to lift that veil for a moment to reveal the spiritual reality that Elisha knew and trusted in. But a reality that his servant could not see. God was protecting the prophet Elisha. In this case, even as they began their attack, the entire Syrian army was stricken with an unusual form of blindness, one that disguised Elisha from them. Elisha told the army, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. It sounds a bit like a Jedi mind trick to me. But Elisha led them into the midst of Samaria, where the Israeli army was. And then he talked the king of Israel into giving this captive army a big feast instead of what they usually did, which set his forces upon them. And then he had them sent all back home. And miracle of miracles, those Syrians never troubled the Israelites again. That's God's grace in action. 
Now, these brief times spent on the other side of reality have spawned generations of fervent believers all seeking after their own mountaintop experience, that moment of startling clarity where everything in one's life comes into crystal focus. Now, sometimes the initial results can be unnerving. As when Martin Luther recognized the enormity of his own sinfulness as he first attempted to serve the Lord's Supper, and he just froze there in fear. But, you know, God never leaves us in fear. Remember how the disciples were left on their knees in terror after hearing the voice of God? Well, the next verses are so comforting. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Oh, now there's a sight that we all long for, isn't it? Seeing Jesus only. You know, one day we will have that veil lifted for us. And we'll be able to behold the awesome majesty of our Lord and Savior revealed in all of his glory. In the meantime, do you know who cares for me? Jesus does. Jesus does. Lovingly he cares for me. And for you. Yes, he really does. Amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.